0: Friends, welcome to the podcast again. I am Daniel Day, your host, and today we are joined with Dr. Wayne Benson, Brother Benson. How are you today?
1: Oh, I'm doing great. It's so good to be with you again, Daniel. I I uh, call you the Bishop of Newport Richie. You know, uh, you're doing such a great job uh, with these interviews, and you're always helping us learn together, grow together. And by the way, the interview with Mark Batterson. I thought was was a great interview, and I encourage your audience to get the recorded version. Um, like you, Daniel, of course, Mark was a graduate of CBC. Yes, go CBC, go Spartans. <laughs> That's right, and uh, and so he's making a great impact through his books, and and yeah. as well as the campuses that he pastors in DC. I love Mark. But I, I love you, Daniel, and I really appreciate what you're doing to bring the body together. Thank well, you.
0: I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot. Listen, as we get started with the podcast today, I'd like you to pray for us, please.
1: I'd be honored to do that. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to come to you and to talk to you this way, this intimate conversation that we have you, a, a way that is made For us through Jesus Christ, your son. And we pray that this interaction as leaders will help us to understand you better, help us to follow you better, help us to know you better, and your plan to save this world that so desperately needs you. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ,
0: amen. Amen. For those of you just joining us, we are with Dr. Wayne Benson, and today's topic is simply this. What it's going to take to retake our cities for Jesus Christ. What it's going to take to retake our cities for Jesus Christ. Uh, Brother Benson, let me set it up this way. Uh, Over the last year plus, churches have been knocked off our center. We've kind of lost our footing in society in many respects, and pastors and church leaders are now beginning to rethink how they do ministry on many different levels, and um, you and I have been speaking off air regarding the need for a great awakening in our land, the need for churches to rise up and reclaim their place and reclaim their voice in our culture, today. And so with this very important topic, I'd like for you to just open it up for us by answering this simple question, why is this particular topic so important to you right now?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the, what has really been on my heart of late, and, and by the way, let me just, let me roll this back uh, a, a bit on something that you just said. As terrible as this pandemic has been, I mean, there have been some good things that we've learned sure. in the middle of it. I mean, probably the most important thing that we had to be reminded of as the church was that the church is not the building. Amen. And and we learned that in a very difficult way. God has taught me that lesson a, a number of times in my life, and uh, but this was a very difficult and a very very hard lesson for us to have to be removed. I mean, when have we not been able to go to, 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 the Easter service, right? Right. The great celebration of the resurrection and praise God, I pray this year is going to be different. I've been talking to pastors and they're, they're planning multiple services again and, and, uh, you know, increasing their capacity and still doing the safety measures and so forth. But anyway, to, to get back on track, um, what has been on my heart of late is our cities yeah. and how we're going to reach those cities for Christ. Many of our cities, especially the largest cities in our nation, Daniel, are they're fraught with crime and violence and drugs and corruption and riots and buildings burning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just noted the city that I grew up in, Detroit, had over 11. I think it's almost 1,200 shootings in in 20 uh 2020 during the year of the pandemic 327 i believe if my stats are correct 327 homicides mm. in 2020 well this is like a 50% increase right over the previous year mm. and this is in addition to the devastation of the pandemic you know we look at what's happening in once beautiful cities like Seattle, Mm. or uh, Philadelphia, New York, Los Angeles, Portland, Mm -hmm. and it's horrific. Right. And I am convinced that this is not simply a political problem produced in a political year. It is a deeply spiritual problem. Absolutely. And I believe that it is the church's responsibility to partner with God in taking back our cities. So, you know, I've been looking at the Word, what does God say about the cities? Mm. And it, I found it, I did a study on a number of the cities that God, God highlights in the Word, where God had a specific strategy for the city that He sought to impact. And He always chooses a specific person with a specific strategy to touch that city, to reach that city. And they're different personalities and the cities have different personalities. And so it's a different strategy for different cities, but he reaches those cities with the message of Jesus Christ because he loves the cities. Yes, he does. But I think that in order for us to really understand the heart of God about the cities and the way God loves the cities, is that we have to see the cities the way God sees them, Daniel. Mm -hmm. I don't think God sees cities like we do, you know, as like defined areas that are defined by political boundaries uh, or geographical boundaries, you know, with the rivers and the mountain ranges and so forth. We tend to see cities like that, but I think God sees them from a, a very different perspective just like we tend to see the church from the perspective of, you know, our denomination or our doctrinal boundaries, right? God sees the church of Jesus Christ as the people in the city. God sees the church of Newport Ritchie as all the true believers in that area. Mm -hmm. That's his church, right? And so likewise, I believe that God views cities Probably very different from the way we tend to define them. and uh, so in my my study more recently regarding the cities, uh, I looked at seven of the cities, well I looked at actually I looked at an Old Testament city, which was Sodom and Gomorrah. And as I was looking at that perspective, Abraham is pleading in behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah because God, comes to him and warns him that this is what's going to happen, that judgment is going to take place. And, of course, that's where his, his nephew was and his family. Well, Abraham had to assume that Lot would have influenced people to come under the covenant of Jehovah, that whatever that covenant was of that day. He understood the covenant that God had given to Abraham. He understood what it was to be a man of God right in in that revelation that level of revelation so he begins to intercede abraham begins to intercede and the interesting thing about that story daniel is you know the story god, he, god abraham negotiates in right. essence with god and on the one hand so he was so humble he was approaching god like Lord, I, you know I am but dust. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you know that I'm just human. You know that you made me out of a clay of this earth. But yet, could I come to you one more time? And he essentially comes all the way down to 10 people. Because Abraham has to assume that by now, Lot will have influenced at least another five people. So that there would be 10 people in that city and that God would spare the city. And of course you know the story, there were not ten people. Mm. God saves a, a family, he saves Lot's family, uh, except for his wife who who turns back to the city that is cursed. But, but that city is destroyed because of the wickedness that had erupted in there. So how, how does God see a city? Well, you go back to the history of cities, and I don't know if you've thought about this, Daniel, but the very first cities in the Bible were built by men who were judged of God. Hmm. Cain, mm-hmm. Genesis chapter 4, right? He flees from God, goes to the land of Nod, east of Eden, and there the city of Nod. That's his city, built by the man who flees from God. The other one is Nimrod, in Genesis 10. That's the second city, and he challenges God in his city that is called Babel, the city of Babel. Right. Right. So these are the first two cities. How does God see our cities? Hmm. Well, I don't think He sees them like Republicans and Democrats see them. <laughs> you know, red and blue, or you know that these are the the, the boundaries. You know where we have a um, you know a governing a person, a mayor, and then elected officials at the state level, and the, I don't think God sees it that way. He recognizes authority, of course. We know that God does, but He sees those cities as as clusters of humanity, because people—that's the object of God's love—and so God looks at the city and He sees them as these clusters, these precious pockets of human people with eternal souls. Yeah. He sees the, the authority, because obviously God respects to and, and honors authority, and he sees them as systems of culture, because culture is the way we hand down either blessings or curses from one generation to the next. You know, the tree grows up from its root, but it it can't grow apart from its roots. Right. But here's what happens. Man without God seeks to secure himself within an encampment. That's the way cities are formed, right? But if your city builds its walls to secure yourself against my city, The only way to really make my city secure is to conquer your city, right? So the cities historically become the places of terrible wars. And that's where great violence happens. That's where, you know, cities are supposed to be the interchange of commerce. But instead, they become the place of corruption and dirty deals and so on. The bigger the city, the worse the corruption, right? Cities are supposed to be the interaction of relationship and the security. Well, the truth is, cities are the place where crime happens. Uh, I have relatives who live out in the farmland, and they'll walk out and leave their house all day long and won't bother to lock the door. I have other friends that live in the heart of the city, and they've got triple locks on their door. Right. But the city was supposed to be the place right where it it was security it Satan's distortion of the very thing that God wants, which is the people that he loves is the target of Satan because these are the people that Satan is trying to destroy so we get Babylon right yeah we get the land of nod we get the place where sin abounds we get the place where there's an exploitation of commerce.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We we get the place where relationships are injured and hurt and crime takes over. And the interesting thing is that God, in the end of time, He He makes reference to a holy city. Mm-hmm. So the restoration of all things is a holy city. Jerusalem coming down. From God, like a bride adorned for her husband, right? Yes. The city where the Lamb is the light, right? You know, where B- Babylon is the summation of blasphemy uh, against God that's going to wage war against the Lamb in the end time. Instead, God has a holy city where there's the relationship, the Lamb is the light. There's no corruption. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. So going back to the concept of the city, God's strategy to take back the city, number one, it's going to be prayer. Obviously nothing happens without introducing the light. The way to beat back the darkness is with the light, right? We can yell at the light but the best. I mean, yell at the darkness, but it won't make it go away. We have to turn the light on, and light by its very nature destroys darkness. Well, the introduction of light comes from the intercessory prayer of God's peoples. Secondly is evangelism, of course, and planting seeds. Um, We have to get back to the Great Commission again. You know, one of the problems in not having the gatherings is that we don't have that emphasis on evangelism where people leave a church service and they're so excited and they've joined spiritually and joined physically, joined hands many times, and joined at the altar and praying with one another. And they pour out into the streets like, like God's grace poured over the city. Mm. And they just can't stop talking about Jesus, right? Yeah. So evangelism, we have to get back to evangelism. And the third thing is the care part, where we nurture that life, where God's people mature, and now they live in behalf of another instead of living in behalf of themselves. Paul cried out. He said, I'm so thankful for the new converts, he said. I'm grateful for the young men and young women of God, they chase demons, right? Yeah. But he said, I long for the heart of the fathers mm-hmm. because the fathers no longer live in behalf of themselves. They live in behalf of another. That's the maturity, the discipleship prospect. Prospect. But the last thing that has to happen is that the church cannot live for itself. Yeah. It cannot live with a... It cannot be healthy... With a relationship that is based on itself, there has to be enlistment, there has to be raising up an army that reaches outside the walls of the church and that comes against the powers of darkness, right? So, you know, my, my burden is that God would put in the hearts of pastors the strategy. That God has for Daniel, this Daniel that I'm looking at on Zoom right now, right. to reach Newport Ritchie and beyond. Yeah. That he will give you a holy strategy and put legs with the people, put legs under that vision to advance the kingdom of God in your city in dramatic and powerful ways. Yes. And so that. Our cities begin to look more like Zion, right? Our exactly. cities begin to look more like that holy city that God has ultimately for us. So, and let me stop talking and let you, because obviously I'm I'm starting to preach now. But uh, <laughs> let me go back to you. Push That's okay. Over. I would
0: like to circle back around to your your illustration with Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot and his family, and Abraham and his intercession. Because there were a handful of pieces of your equation there that were at work and some that were not. We have the prayer piece with Abraham is at work, and we even see God responding to the prayer. Each time, even as the number gets smaller and smaller, God's grace is present.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so there's prayer happening. God is responding to the prayer but the piece that's missing and we might even use lot as a illustration of a church present in the city or a pastor present in the city or even just the body of Christ present in the city that is not doing its part to evangelize and so we've got prayer warriors God's responding to the prayer but uh-huh. the people present in the city yeah. Aren't doing their piece, and it even appears to, in some respects, that Lot even failed to really evangelize his own family.
1: True,
0: and so um, there, there is always a remnant in any city, any town. There's always a presence of the body of Christ, and most, especially in our large cities. And uh, I know from experience in working in the inner city for nearly eight years, just south of Philadelphia in inner city, Wilmington, when we church planted there, that the city is a beautiful place. It's a place of multiculturalism and commerce. And, you know, from one street to the next is a different nation and and that includes their food and their language and their culture and their clothes and their music. And it's just, it really is a beautiful place to do ministry. And so even what we're seeing in the news and the and the images that the news anchors want us to see of the city isn't always completely accurate to what's actually happening on the ground mm-hmm. in all reality. True. And so, as you said before, God sees the city differently, therefore we need to see the city through the Lord's eyes, hear it through the Lord's ears. But I'd like for you to speak for a moment. If even one of those pieces of the equation, prayer, evangelism, and so forth, you, if you have just one or two without the third, it's going to be incomplete. Correct. Right?
1: Well, for one thing, I think the church has to begin to speak with one voice. Amen. Part of the weakness of the church in its ineffectual uh, outreach capacity is that we've been divided. A mm-hmm. house divided cannot stand. Yeah. Not only has the church not been able to speak with one voice, we've been speaking out of two sides of our mouth collectively as the church. We've been speaking, you know, the church has been very divided, especially down political lines. So instead of the church being able to speak with one voice during this pandemic, which we should have been, right? And it, it has brought us together in many ways. I, you know, there are many of us who have come together But unfortunately, it has often been divided over political positions, over social justice, and what that means to different entities, people who live in different areas, and even over such things as whether or not we should be gathering, uh, or just watch online, or whether we should wear masks or not. You know, one of the dear pastors that I coach who lives in the Midwest, city of all places he has had two groups of people who have left his church over the masks mm. and the funny thing is the two groups that left and they're not large groups but they're they're groups that splintered off from his church and the one group saying we're leaving because you won't make everybody wear a mask and the other group leaving because we're disgusted that you're trying to make everybody wear masks I mean, it's crazy. This is yeah. in the same church with two different entities. So um, we need to embrace one another over the things that God told us to be unified about. And that starts with Jesus. Absolutely. If we can't get together on Jesus, we'll never get together. Right. You know, if you are the son of my father,
0: mm.
1: that makes you my brother. Yeah. If you are the daughter of my father, that makes you my sister. Whether we realize it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, that is the case. Yeah. And brothers and sisters need to get along. Mm-hmm. We have got to get back to that great commission again, and that is together. We've got to get together on Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, if we stroll along and, and don't push back against the darkness, It'll gain advantages that are going to take, take back our territory. We need supernatural intervention. Yeah. In a word, we need, we need a supernatural spiritual awakening. We need the Holy Spirit to kiss the church and wake it up from its slumber.
0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As much as
1: I love create, the creative ways that the church has reached people online, and it's, it has been wonderful yeah many churches have expanded their reach significantly but we're seeing those numbers start to settle now we're mm-hmm. seeing those numbers start to start to get smaller again mm-hmm. and i think that there is a spiritual malaise that is setting in as folks are content to watch pieces of online services in their mm-hmm. pajamas and you know when and if they want to and interrupted by texts and mm-hmm. distractions right I think it is very important for the church to begin to regather again, and it's where we gain that synergy. You know, that word synergy, synergimo, is the word together in the book of Acts, from which we get the word synergy. Yeah. They were together, together, together in prayer, together in fellowship, together uh, from house to house, and so forth. Well, that synergy only comes when we function as one together. Right. And that's the oneness again. God commands his blessing when his people are unified around him. Yeah. The worship experience, it's its far more powerful when we come together. So good. And yeah, and as this pandemic ends, whether it's prayed out or vaccinated out or, you know, herd immunified out or whatever, when it ends... We need to be able to see one another smile and lay hands upon the sick and embrace one another with a holy hug and pray with one another at the altar. Those are powerful, unifying forces that the Holy Spirit uses to to make us into an army and not just an audience. So good. And therefore, we can impact the city for Christ.
0: What I'd like you to do as we wind down the interview is reflect upon your own experience in um, Grand Rapids, when you were there as a lead pastor, you experienced a, uh, an elongated revival, um, a, a, a move of the Holy Spirit in that church that was tremendous. And um, I've only you know heard bits and pieces of the story as you've shared with me and read articles and so forth. And uh, I'm not as familiar with that particular uh, outpouring as obviously you are, but an awakening doesn't just, you know, come upon you. There's some things that preceded that I'm sure, and things like you've already articulated with intercession and prayer and repentance and so forth. Um, We need a great awakening from coast to coast, from border to border in our Island uh, areas on up to Alaska. We need it worldwide. In your experience, how does a great awakening begin?
1: Hmm. Well, let me start with the word sovereign. Mm-hmm. The word sovereign, the sovereign move of God means it is not something that man engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 we get sort of an illustration of that when the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. And you know, you ask yourself, why did God smite those guys, you know, when the ark was, you know, first of all, they're hauling it on a man-made cart, and it was never to be, it was to be born on the shoulders of men. Mm -hmm. And so the presence of God was not to be put on something that man made with wheels on a cart, you know, it was to be born on the shoulders of men. Well, that's symbolic in many ways, as the ark was symbolic of the presence of God. And I would say that that word sovereign means that it probably is going to come the way God wants it to, and not the way we try to engineer it to come. And there's so much of what we do in the church that is planned and Programmed and please don't misunderstand me because I'm a guy who believes in planning. I mean, I had strategy meetings and I, you know, I was kind of famous for that before the revival came. In fact, we had just put together a 10 year plan. Okay. And the funny thing is, God blew up our 10 year plan into (laughs) little tiny pieces. But what God did was so much more important than anything that we could have accomplished with our 10 year plan. Mm. You know? and you know you talk about the problems and the discouragement of the pandemic and so on and so forth there is nothing that a genuine sovereign move of the holy spirit cannot accomplish hallelujah you know uh during the four years that you mentioned when we experienced the renewal in grand rapids to begin with, we saw thousands of people come to Christ. Mm-hmm. And yes, there, there had been prayer and intercession. And I have to say this, because it's only fair to say that I had to go through a humbling experience mm-hmm. in several ways. I think God had to make me more dependent on Him. Uh, I lost my voice just before the the renewal of God broke out. I mean, I lost my voice. I went to the the doctor and a specialist, and he puts this thing down my throat, and he says, um, well, what do you call me? It didn't call me preacher, Rev, Reverend. Well, Rev, he says, uh, and he's kind of choking me with this thing up my nose and down into my throat, and I'm looking on this camera, or I'm looking on the video screen, and he's showing me, trying to point this out, and he says, you have, you have a cyst on your right vocal fold. And he said, "I have to tell you this." He says, "I don't know that it's cancerous, but if it is," he says, "we're going to have to operate and take that out." And he said, "You will not be preaching for quite some time. You're going to be laid off, so to speak, from from your you know pulpit ministry." And um, and he said, "So what we're going to do is we're going to you know try to do vocal therapy and so forth." But he says, "In the meantime." you are not to talk loud. You can't sing. You certainly shouldn't be up preaching in your pulpit. So, I mean, he's limiting me. This is what's happening. And so I'm turning over the services to my associate pastors who are in the pulpit. And of all times, the nerve of God to come when I'm not (laughs) preaching, and I'm not in the pulpit, talk about a humbling experience. But when God came It was a sovereign move of God, and it didn't begin on a Sunday. And it didn't begin with me in the pulpit. It began on a Wednesday night. And it was so powerful that not what was happening in the sanctuary, we didn't know this, but the same thing was happening all the way down to the youth ministry and the children's ministries. God was doing exactly the same thing there. I mean, they scooped up children in the children's ministries, put them in the back seat of the car, and they're speaking in tongues on the way home, because God so moved upon the life of a child. Wow. So you talk about sovereign. This is something that was not engineered in any possible way. And of course, the story is God healed my voice, and I was able to lead and give leadership, but God did a work in me but we saw over 17,000, I think there were, like, you know, the cards when people came forward to the front, we had people work with them and minister them at the altar, and they signed cards. We had over 17,000 of those cards from either first-time conversions or people being reclaimed for Christ. And, but we also saw God do a work in people's lives personally, and this is so important couples reunited who had gone from counselor to counselor. I mean, they're ready to get a divorce, and Mm. we'd given them our best wisdom. The pastors had counseled. They'd gone to professional counselors, and we saw God unite and do in minutes what months had not done. Mm. We saw healing miracles in remarkable ways that I'd, I'd never seen before, and I don't know if I told you this story, but the story of the young man who was a high school student. We had tons of, of young people that started to come. The whole Granville High School football team came to, to the revival. And if you'd have told me they'd do that like on a Friday night, I said, "There's, you know, I'd say there's no way that could happen, naturally. But this young man who was one of the high school students came to the service, appealing to his parents to come because they were at a church that would have been kind of in opposition of what we stood for, okay? An old line denomination that kind of gave the left foot of fellowship to people like us, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, But but he pleaded with his father to come. He said, "There, God is doing something in the lives of my friends, and I want to come. Well, the dad first said no, then he appealed, and and the father said, okay, I'll come with you. Your mother and I will come with you. We will sit in the back and we will not participate. And so that's what they did. They sat in the back. At the end of the service, we gave an altar call for people to come to Christ. Many people came that, that evening. Maybe even I think there was probably a couple hundred people that came forward that, that evening. Then I felt impressed to pray for the sick, so I called for the elders and anointing oil, and we said, we're going to pray for the sick. Well, the young man bolts out of the seat, he was on the end, bolts into the aisle and starts coming down to the front because he had one shoulder was drooped down, lower than the other because his spine had a curve in it and his what do you call the middle thing in, in your chest, the, not the, clav- the clavicles up here, sternum, was about an inch and a half to the left of center. And so he comes down with the one shoulder drooped, and just outside his father's reach, his dad said he reached for his son's t-shirt and just missed it. So here he is, his name is Isaiah, down at the front, one shoulder is down, So we're praying for the sick. When we pray for this boy, he absolutely collapses under the power of God. He's flat on his back. And then here's, you know, I'd seen that happen before, so that wasn't anything special to me. It wasn't astounding, let's say it that way. But as I went on to pray for other people, I'm looking back at this boy, and his arm is is moving like this, just very odd. And then I'm watching and it got my attention because I'm going, what's going on here? You know, then both arms start doing this. And then his entire trunk from his waist up starts almost like gyrating. Well, this is getting my attention now. Well, it got his dad's attention because his dad now has raced down to the front and he kneels over his son while this is going on. and and he says, are you all right, son? Are you all right, Isaiah? And he paused for an answer, and he could hear the sound of the popping and snapping or cracking, whatever, of his bones resetting in that boy's skeletal structure. When he got up, and he starts to walk back to where his mother was, his his father first immediately could see his shoulders were level to the floor. His mother could see it on the way back, and so, as only a mother would do, she gets her son, lifts up the front, the the uh, back of his t-shirt, and his back is straight, turns him around and lifts up the front of his t-shirt, and his sternum has moved directly to the center of his chest. Now, Daniel I've seen God do a lot of things in my in my 50 years of ministry, 50 plus years of ministry. But we saw unbelievable things that only God could do. We saw unreachable people coming, people that were you know that we just normally wouldn't be reaching, but they were hearing. Why? Because people were leaving the building like a river of grace being poured over the city and the excited chatter of what God was doing was everywhere. We didn't have to advertise with Madison Avenue hype or fancy media stuff. People whose lives were impacted just couldn't stop talking about Jesus, the most important person in their life and what he had done for them. So I, I emphasize that word sovereign. This is stuff you can't make up. Yeah. It's stuff you can't engineer. You have to pray it down and live it out. Hallelujah. And walk by faith with God because he knows more about revival than you do. Amen. So, And let me pause and, and let you. What I, what I want to
0: respond this way because what you just said is fascinating and really overwhelming and it just excites me to think that God might be rolling up his sleeves to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes. If there's ever anything that a pastor wants to see, it's the it's the confirmation of the gospel with signs and wonders. Yes. And I just feel the anointing right now as you've been talking, and I just want to say, God, please do it again. Yes, Jesus. Do it again, and everyone listening right now in their lives, God, do it again in every pastor's life. God, may we be the one spearheading a desire for a a prayer, prayer, spirit of prayer to hit our churches, and, and that we wouldn't get so creative about it that we would forget what really makes it work. And uh, yes, we we serve a God of creativity. Hey, I'm all for it. I'm all for the technology and the new methods and so forth. But there's just nothing that can replace an hour a day in prayer, nothing that can replace a holy life. There's positioning ourselves in the best way we know how so that should God choose to sovereignly use a season of ministry, not just in our church, but across the land, that we would be among that number that God could use if he so chooses to. And with that, I'm gonna ask you to please just close us in prayer. And I want you to just pray over everyone listening that we would begin to if we don't live in a city like I'm what you're referring to, the the Portlands, the Seattles, the New Yorks, the LAs, the Dallas, the Miamis, the Orlando's if we don't live in the Atlanta, Georgia's of America, you're in the suburb or the rural areas, maybe you're not, but everybody listening can get a heart for the city That's right. and these sitter, center, these centerpieces of our culture mm-hmm. that, that really are influencing the rest of us in many ways. Uh, if we're not living there, we can pray, we can send missionaries just like we do everywhere else, but we can all pray. We can all intercede. We can all give. And certainly we all could go, uh, you don't need a passport to go to these cities, right? You can, you can go right. and support a team challenge or support a dream center, um, support the boots on the ground that are there, and support their ministries and lift them up. Pastor, please pray for us as we go.
1: Yeah, and Daniel, to say to every person who happens to be watching either the recorded version or the live version, God loves your city. Mm-hmm. He sees your city as pockets of precious humanity with eternal souls, and he loves that city. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we declare unashamedly once again that we need you. We desperately. We don't need you less today than we did yesterday. We need you more. Without you, we can do nothing. I confess, Lord, that... um, In my years of ministry, I'm sure that I tried to do a lot of things where I planned my plan and wrapped it up with a nice bow and then presented it to you and asked you to bless it. But Lord, we do need to know what you're blessing, and we need to do what you're blessing. We have tried to do a lot of things, but we've never accomplished anything for the kingdom without your Holy Spirit. So we call upon you today, Lord, Spirit of the living God, Fill us once again. Yes, Lord. Give us the patience to walk with you in the divine process you, Jesus. in sync with your timing and in harmony with one another, because we need one another. Yes, Holy Spirit. But Lord, give us, give us the faith to believe for divine interventions where we see you compress or even eliminate time to heal a body or to heal a marriage or to li- deliver from ungodly habits that enslave people, to banish the powers of darkness. We need you, Lord, to intervene in our nation right now. We need you to intervene in our cities. We need you to intervene in our churches. Yes, God. And yes, Lord, most of all, we need you to intervene in our lives as leaders. And we believe that you're going to do this because we humbly, humbly come before you in the powerful, saving, delivering, righteous name of Jesus Christ, the strong Son of God, in His name we believe. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. I I agree wholeheartedly with every word you just said, and uh, I pray that everyone listening will take this to heart and continue to make this a great matter of your daily prayer life. Pastor Benson, thank you so much for joining me again on the podcast.
1: You're welcome, Daniel. It's a great, great to be with you. Amen.